0: Okay, so Psalm 23, we're going to be there, but before we get to the psalm, uh, we need to do some, some work here. Um, it's a, this, is, this is by far, I think, at least, the most familiar psalm in the entire book. Um, most of us have heard the 23rd Psalm. Most of us probably have portions, if not the whole thing, memorized. We, it's so familiar because we hear it pretty often, right? It's, it's read sometimes at funerals. Um, it's read during seasons of tragedy and difficulty uh, because of the the comfort that it offers, and I, I remember um, distinctly um, after 9/11 and President Bush at the time was uh, reading Psalm 23 and to console the nation. I mean, it's just it's a very familiar psalm uh, to us, and so um, this is not like. Necessarily gonna blow any minds today. It's it's a beautiful psalm because it is so straightforward and clear. But I think it's important for us um, to, to get deeper than just the surface. And again, predominantly to see Jesus in this. And and so we're we're trying to do this in every psalm we tackle, where we're trying to show you how Jesus is the point of it. And I'm just gonna be real, this one's not that hard to make those connections. Um, some, of, some psalms are harder than others. This one's pretty easy. Uh, so we get a little bit of a break today on the, on the interpretive thing. But, but here's, here's, what is, um, here's what's very clear in the, in the scriptures. Um, people, human beings, need leaders. We need leaders. We just do. Uh, uh, because when you see in, in the scriptures, when the leadership of the people of Israel... Fail or falter, the, the, the congregation sins and falters and fails. Uh, we see it very, very early on in the, in the book of Exodus or um, right out of the wilderness, uh, right in the wilderness, Moses goes up to get the, the Ten Commandments, right? And he's gone for a while. And what happens? The people think he's dead. And so they go, okay, now I guess we're in charge here. So Aaron, here's what we want you to do. We want you to make us a god. And so he throws all their gold into this furnace and he forms a golden calf for them to worship. Moses comes down and just freaks out, right? He's so mad because uh, they betrayed the Lord in just a very short amount of time. We, we see uh, Moses fail in his leadership as well. Uh, so he's not the, the perfect, perfect leader Every leader, every human leader fails us in some capacity or another. And every, every way um, we, we can look at failures of human leadership because every human leader, try as hard as they may, um, is imperfect and sinful. And so what the, what the 23rd Psalm reminds us of is our need for a, a shepherd, a leader, a spiritual leader that cannot fail us and will not fail us. And that's really what the point of Psalm 23 is. It's written by David, who is the king of Israel, who was one of the shepherds of Israel, In that, in, when you think about shepherding as an analogy for spiritual leadership. And, and yet he writes in the first verse, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is our leader. The Lord is the one who guides us and leads us to himself. That's not to say he doesn't use human leaders to, to accomplish that. We see that throughout all of scripture, right? If, if the Lord appoints human leaders um, to, to do that very thing. And some of them do okay and others do terribly. Um, but we have, we have to keep in mind that no matter what, the ultimate leadership that we receive is from the Lord. The Lord is the one who leads us. And so before we get into this, we, we w- really want to just make this Christ connection here for you, and then uh, we can go and unpack Psalm 23. But to do that, let's set this up by going first to the book of Ezekiel 34. Um, and, and this is a really fascinating um, passage, <clears throat> one that I, I revisit over and over again because its, um, it's just so, so vital for spiritual leadership. Um, here is what Ezekiel is told to say. In verse 30, uh, chapter 34, verse 1, it says this, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, so this is God saying to e- Ezekiel, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, so he's, he's being given a word to speak against the shepherds. And we're not talking about the people who are watching the sheep, right? We're talking about the leaders of Israel, the spiritual leaders. And he's told to speak against them. And here's what God says. Here's how God rebukes the leaders of Israel at this time. He says, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak, you have not strengthened. The sick, you have not healed. The injured, you have not bound up. The strayed, you have not brought back. The lost, you have not sought. And with force... In harshness, you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there is no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. It's not a good place to be. God against you. He's against the shepherds. I will require my sheep at their hand and I will put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Now here's the key, verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that has been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice." So, so you have, in, in Ezekiel, you have this story where, or this prophecy rather, where God is telling Ezekiel to speak against the leadership of Israel at the time that was just broken and destructive. It was damaging, it was self-seeking. The shepherds of Israel were not about the sheep, they were about themselves. And so God says, you're done, and I'm going to do it you haven't done your job. You haven't sought the lost. You haven't healed the sick. You haven't bound up the wounded. You haven't done your job, so I'm going to do it. This, of course, is a prophetic, um, uh, uh, I guess just a a way to prepare us for Jesus because this is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. The things that, that God says he's going to do for his sheep His people, the analogy there being sheep and shepherds, is exactly what Jesus came to do. Seek the lost. Bring back the strayed. Bind up the injured. Strengthen the weak. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to heal us, to bring us home, to bring us back to the fold of God. And, and we see this fulfilled in Jesus' own words in John chapter 10. John 10, here's how Jesus talks about himself. He's, he says, we'll start in verse 7. It says, so Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door or the gate of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See the contrast there? Ezekiel 34, God is rebuking the shepherds of Israel. Why? Because they were taking advantage of the sheep. They were using the sheep to meet their own end goal of being fed, being you know brought up, propped up, made to be important, and they neglected the sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd doesn't take advantage of his sheep. He lays his life down for the sheep. He says, He who is a hired hand and not the shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. He's not a hired hand. He's not just someone who's there to get a paycheck. He loves his flock. And he says, I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. See, Jesus is telling us this, that he is the shepherd that we desperately need He's the ultimate shepherd who cares for us, who provides for us, who laid down his own life so that we would live. When when a shepherd, a good shepherd, truly cares for his sheep and he sees a wolf coming in to destroy, he doesn't let the sheep take the bullet for him. He runs to the danger and he dies if he has to. Jesus is using this analogy to talk to us about his love for us. That, that, our, that our greatest need is to be rescued from ultimate death and destruction from sin, from our own sin, the sin that we caused and brought, about our, brought upon ourselves. And Jesus comes into the world in that context, and he dies in the place of sinners. Because that's how much he loves his sheep. That's how much he loves you. He knows his own and his own know him because he's laid down his life for them, for you, for me. Jesus is our good shepherd. Jesus is the one who can truly fulfill and satisfy and meet us in our deepest need. No human can do that for you. No other person on earth but Jesus can do that for you. You can try and find as many people as you can gather to to be those shepherds, but they will always disappoint you and leave you empty. But Jesus never will. And so in light of the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, we can go back to Psalm 23 and we can read these words and and understand that it's talking about Jesus. Jesus wasn't alive at the time that the words were written, but that doesn't mean it wasn't about him. We believe, as the Bible teaches, that Jesus is God who became man. He's not just another person on the scene. He he is the the God-man, fully God, fully man. And so when we see in the Old Testament the word Lord, or, or God, it, it's talking about Jesus, right? I mean, it, it's talking about the Trinitarian God of the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but, but it, is, it can be clearly connected dat, back to Jesus in this because he is God, he is the Lord. And so when we read the this, this 23rd Psalm, we can see Jesus throughout this whole thing. And I just want to take some time to work through it just line by line a little bit at a time and we really see um, in this psalm three characteristics of our good shepherd Jesus that I think we can reflect on and meditate on this morning. The first um, we find in the first few verses, but let's, let's just take it a little bit at a time. Let's Look at verse one. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So, the Lord is my shepherd. I, some translations will say I shall not be in want or I shall, will not lack anything. That's what's kind of at the heart of this. That I won't have any need. I won't have any, uh, I won't lack uh, for, uh, for anything because the shepherd is providing. He, he says here in verse uh, two, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me, this is interesting. The word is, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Why in the world would, there, what would that word make, which is, is a, a word, a forceful word, right? If you make somebody do something, it generally means they don't want to do it. You don't have to make somebody eat ice cream, right? <laughs> you don't have to. We get to. You have to make your children eat vegetables, probably, um, so that, like that, that idea, we have to make people do things that are, that are good for them that they don't realize are good for them. And what's interesting here is that the, the shepherd, the Lord Jesus, shepherds us in such a way that he makes us lie down in green pastures. He's not making us lie down in something that's bad for us. He's not making us lie down in a desert desert against our will, somewhere we don't want to be or shouldn't be, but he's actually making us lie down in green pastures, somewhere where we will find our, our needs met. He, this is interesting because I, I think that just from a practical standpoint, as human beings, we notoriously chase things that are bad for us because we're sinners, and our, our inclination is to assume that it's better on the other side of that hill, or it's better in that pasture than this one. We always are thinking about what's better. And there are times where our Lord has to lovingly make us lie down where we are because it's good for us and it's right where He wants us to be. It's not harmful. It's not going to destroy us, it's going to help us. But we're too short-sighted to see. It's, It's like we just don't, we don't have the whole picture, and God does. And so what we may think are green pastures and better pastures that way, He knows it's not true. And so he brings us to where we need to be. The next line is that he leads me besides still waters. He leads me beside still waters. Now here's a fun fact about sheep um, that David would, would have been well aware of because David was a shepherd before he became the king. Um, that was his, his job as a young, young man taking care of his father's flocks. Um, and so he knew sheep really well and he knew, he knew humans really well because he was one of them. And so uh, he, he saw some parallels. But one of the interesting things about sheep is that they do not go anywhere near running water, uh, loud running water. They're afraid of it. And that kind of makes sense, right? I mean, it, they're, they're not the brightest animals, but they do know that if they step in rapids, they're, they're gone, right? <laughs> uh, and so they figured out, this is not good for me. I'm not going to go by this noisy stream, this river <clears throat> of wild water. They just won't do it. And so here's what happens. Here, here's what has to happen. Um, a good shepherd has to lead his sheep to a place where they will drink. The, the most convenient thing to do is just to come across a river or wherever the body of water is and stop and drink. The problem is if you lead the sheep to that place and it's not still water, they won't drink. No matter how long you sit there, they the sheep will die before they drink the water from the fast-moving water. So what does the shepherd have to do? He has to lead them to still waters. He, he has to be patient with his flock, knowing their fears, knowing their weaknesses, knowing they're, they're just not in a place where they're gonna drink water from a fast-moving stream. And so he has to lead them perhaps miles out of the way To get to still waters. Or he has to go upstream and dam up the water so that it can slow down. Those are are the options, both of which are painstaking and brutal and inconvenient. So, what does this tell us about our good shepherd? It tells us that he's patient with his sheep. Jesus is extraordinarily patient with you and with me because we are, like sheep, way more than we want to admit. We are afraid of things we we shouldn't be afraid of. We are um, reckless and foolish. We're stubborn and impatient. And um, Jesus patiently meets us right where we are. And I just, reflecting on that particular line has been really um, meaningful to me because I, you, you think about the ways in which Jesus has patiently accommodated all of our slow growth in the Christian life. It's not to say that Jesus is going to leave us where we are. He, he loves us too much to let us die in our sin. But he does patiently wait at times. He does allow us to, to be uh, difficult. And, and he loves us in the midst of it. He, he cares for us to the point that he will lead us to still waters. This is, this is not just, you know, from David's point of view, writing. He's not just talking about this nice, idyllic, you know, scene, and, and this is where, you know, Jesus is all the time with us. It's that he has to take us to the places that are good for us. And that requires a patient shepherd. It, it requires patience and grace. It says in verse 3 that he restores my soul and he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I think this is connected uh, to verses 1 and 2. Right? He's, he's talking about the sheep the, the analogy of the sheep and the shepherd. And then he tells us in verse 3 here what the outcome of all of this patience that the Lord extends to us is, that his patience restores our soul. He leads us to green pastures and he makes us lie down there. He leads us to still waters so that we will drink and have our souls refreshed. And the result of that patient, loving kindness of the Lord is that our souls are restored and we're led into the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We have a patient shepherd. He's he's patient, he he waits, he's long-suffering, but he is nonetheless leading us to the very place where our souls are refreshed and found in him. I don't don't think that we, um, I don't think that we, like, really wrestle enough with the patience of God, right? They, that, the Bible says it over and over. I mean, I don't even know how many times the Bible talks about God's patience, His, his long suffering, his, his willingness to stick with it. We see it throughout the whole scripture, and I, yet I don't think we make enough of a deal about it because we're not patient, right? We're not. Uh, inherently unpatient that's the human default we want what we want now the Lord doesn't live that way the Lord is graciously waiting for us um, and he is all the while not leaving us to our own devices but graciously leading us to where he wants us to be even if that is painstakingly slow he's a great patient shepherd the the Bible tells us in Romans that that it's the the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. The kindness of God is displayed in the patience of God. God. God leads us to repentance, the turning away of our hearts towards sin and towards Jesus through not through his iron fist but through his kindness and patience and love that's what gets us there the bible says it i'm not saying that the bible says it we we turn to jesus because he's merciful and kind patient and long suffering and this is who jesus is for us and and we get to the point where we we are on the paths of righteousness and our souls are restored because of the patience of Jesus. So we have a patient shepherd. But let's look at the next verse, um, verse 4. It says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it could also be translated the deepest, darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So if the first characteristic that we saw in Psalm 23 is the patience of our shepherd, the second is the protection of our shepherd. And yes, I'm going to have all P words here. So bringing out my old Baptist, you know, classic uh, alliteration thing here today. Um, But, but we have a protecting shepherd. A, a pr- the protection of Jesus is seen in this. Look at look at the verse. David writes, "Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil." Now, here's here's what we need to see. Now, in in Israel, um, uh, it's very mountainous, and uh, in in uh, the season where the the grass is growing and it's um, it's good pasture, uh, those were up higher up in elevation, um, and you know it's a little cooler up there and and or whatever and I don't know it's just that's what I'm reading so they it's higher up and for whatever reason the grass grows better in those in the hills, um, but to get there you have to go through the valleys, and just much like today uh, where if you're on the, like the east or the, the west in the mountains, we just like dug highways through these valleys and these mountains and you know, you're driving through in between all these huge hills. Uh, it was the same then too, right? The, the, they built their road system through the valleys. The problem with that is that if you're a shepherd and you've got hundreds of sheep behind you, um, you're pretty easy uh, pickings for thieves on these roads. There's danger there. Uh, there, there's danger from robbers. There's danger from, from people who want to do you harm. And they figure, hey, you know, a shepherd or two, it's pretty easy to take out, and then we can have all these sheep and kill them and eat them or sell their wool or whatever. Um, and so there was inherent danger in, the tr- in traveling uh, from place to place as you would lead. And so what David is saying is that we, we may walk through these dark valleys, but we're not going to fear we will fear no evil. And here's the reason why. It's the next line. Because you are with me. Why does the, the sheep don't need to fear the valley? Because our good shepherd is with us. We don't travel alone. If we were just a bunch of sheep running around by ourselves with no shepherd, then yeah, we would be, we'd be scattered. That's what happens. When sheep don't have a shepherd, they, they just run they don't stay together. They just like uh, uh, every sheep for themselves, right? And they just go and they're, they're lost. That's why in Ezekiel 34, the Lord had to say, I will bring back the sheep. They've been scattered. But if we have our good shepherd with us, we have no need to fear. We have his protection. Here's, and here's the thing. If Jesus is for us, Who's against us? Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? And and, and Paul just lays out in in that chapter all of these incredible things that would generally lead us to great fear. But he says, we have the Lord, so why are we afraid? says in verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son. God didn't even spare Jesus. Gave him up for all of us. How will will he not also with him, with Jesus, graciously give us all things? He goes on to say that if God is for us, who's going to separate us from his love? Will tribulation, difficulty, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. Paul's point is echoing the, the point that David is making here, that we walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, All the things that Paul just mentioned, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, not having clothes, or sword, being killed, are all terrible things, right? They're all awful things. We don't want to go through any of those things. And yet, the point is that we can, if God so leads, because He's with us. And we know that nothing that happens to us in the body on earth Will affect the ultimate outcome of those who love Jesus. We may die here and now, but we will not be doomed if we have Jesus. We will be in his presence, we will be with him forever. And so, why have fear in that, right? Now, that's not to say that if you fear things that you are somehow a sub Christian. We all struggle right? We all fear. But these these things are written in the scriptures to remind our hearts, to so, solidify our hearts, that the fear we experience is not the final word. The Lord is. He's with us. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why would a rod and a staff comfort? They're instruments of um, pain. They're instruments of of uh, uh, their weapons, in essence, they didn't have guns in these days, right? Bows and arrows would have been way too impractical for a shepherd to carry around. <clears throat> and so, what was what was his alternative? He had basically a giant club to beat beat someone with, <laughs> or beat a wolf off with, or whatever. He 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 had this these instruments that he would carry were the comfort. God is strong and he's well-armed, and we can trust him. So he's our patient shepherd, he's our protection. There's one more thing we'll look at here, verse 5 and 6. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here is what it's telling us about our good shepherd Jesus is that he is our provider. We, we got a glimpse of that at the beginning of the psalm in the green pastures and still waters. But here he, he kind of moves out of uh, the shepherd sheep analogy and moves into the conquering king analogy. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Uh, essentially, David was a king, right? And so there were battles that had to be fought. And when you would win a battle or a war, you celebrated and you'd have a huge feast in the presence of your conquered enemies. Basically, it was a way of you know, humiliating them. Um, and and rubbing it in their face that they lost. Uh, we don't necessarily do those things today, but that was how things were done uh, thousands of years back here. So here's here, here's how David is talking about the Lord. He's, he's going to take us through the valley of the shadow of death. He's going to bring us back to the other side, and at the end of the day, um, he's going to set us in his presence. And that's when you read the the book of Revelation, that's what happens. At the end of the book, you get to the, the 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 marriage supper of the Lamb. After all sin and death and and Satan and demons and all that is destroyed once and for all. Jesus collects his people and brings us all together for a giant meal. Jesus can do this because he's raised from the dead. He, he died for his sheep, but he also was raised for his sheep. And so he can carry us to this meal. He anoints our head with oil, and the cup overflows. Those are that's imagery of of great um, just position in in God's eyes. That he loves us, that he that he wants to lavish on us his his grace and mercy. And then he says that surely goodness and mercy will follow me. All the days of my life. Every day that you wake up and breathe is a reminder that Jesus loves you, that he's merciful to you, that he's good to you. Every single day of your life, whether it's a good day or a bad day, whether there's a hard season or an easy season, it 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 is nonetheless a, a mercy of the Lord. And there are things that we can find even in the hardest days that reflect his goodness. And we should reflect on that as much as we can. He says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the, this is the ultimate hope of, of everyone who trusts in Christ. Right? This is the ultimate hope. This is the reason we, we are doing what we're doing as Christians. It's because we have the, the promise that we will be with the Lord forever. Uh, this is not, the, the relationship we have with Jesus is not just a, uh, a relationship that's in the here and now, but not eternal. It is an eternal life with Jesus. But I, and I don't think that most of us struggle with grasping that. But here's the other side of that coin. That life with Jesus begins the moment you believe It starts in the moment of your belief through your life on earth into eternity. Eternal life starts at the moment you've trusted in Jesus. And we we tend to think that eternal life starts after we die. But that's not how the, the Bible talks about it. The Bible says, in fact, in John 10, which we read earlier, that Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly. That is... To say that this is this whole life, from the moment of our trust in Christ to the moment of our death, this whole thing, this whole process here, is the still part of eternal life that just continues forever. We will be with the Lord. We will be one with Him, and we will have Him um, forever. And that is a great hope. And so Jesus is our good shepherd. We read Psalm 23 through the lens of Jesus. You can't even really argue that that's not about Jesus because Jesus says he's the good shepherd. It comes out of his own mouth. And so this is an easy one for us to draw those lines to Christ and then to ourselves. But what we can see as we read through this is we can get a glimpse of the, of the goodness and grace of Jesus in his patience towards us, in his protection of us and His provision for us, what a great God we have! And we're gonna take some time to sing of those those realities and truths, um, and take some time to uh, partake and remember uh, the Lord, uh, the Lord's death and His His laying down His life for the sheep through communion. Um, and so we'll pray, and then I'll I'll talk for a couple minutes about that, and we'll then we'll sing together. So, um, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our good shepherd, that you laid down your life for us. A good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, you tell us, and and that we rest in and we rejoice in. We pray that we would have um, a meaningful uh, time the rest of this service. Would you speak to our hearts through the words of the songs we sing? Would you seal in our hearts what you want us to hear this morning? And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.